0: Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investment, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I support a growing community of top climate and ESG leaders as the Chief Experience Officer at Nation's Wealth and I'm an advisor to the climate practice at IDEO. I'm also an investor and startup advisor. And when it comes to climate action, I know I'll be a lifelong learner, always looking to have more impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you found us. Sign up for updates and suggest ideas for future episodes at investedinclimate.com. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Thanks for joining
1: The number one source of greenhouse gas emissions in most states that get cold is buildings, more than cars, more than agriculture. And the number one source of greenhouse gas emissions in buildings is HVAC, heating, cooling, hot water. So in terms of opportunities to really make a difference to greenhouse gas emissions, we have to solve buildings.
0: Hey, folks, heat pumps have gotten a lot of attention lately. They're one of the technologies most critical to electrifying buildings and removing our dependency on fossil fuels for heating and cooling. And they're a technology that's taking off. Sales of heat pumps have grown by double digits for two years running. According to the Sustainability Trends Report published recently by Al Gore's investment firm Generation, heat pump sales in Europe grew by 50%, and they're now outselling gas furnaces in the United States. But did you know there's more than one kind of heat pump? Today, we're joined by Kathy Hunan, founder of Dandelion Energy, a geothermal startup that grew out of Google X and is now growing quickly. Kathy explains how heat pumps work, the difference between air source and geothermal heat pumps, the economics and experience for heat pump buyers, and much more. Whether you're a homeowner still relying on fossil fuels or simply interested in the future of buildings, this episode has a lot for you. Enjoy. Kathy, welcome to Invested in Climate.
1: Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: So we have a fun story of how we met that we were just reminiscing on. We sat next to each other while flying back from New York to San Francisco and struck up conversation, though it was really first just about your adorable baby Cora, who was accompanying you on a work trip out east and who was already an excellent traveler. How's Cora doing? And did she make it to her first climate week?
1: (laughs) Well, thank you for saying she was an excellent traveler. She is doing fantastically. And luckily, now that she sleeps through the night, I no longer have to take her with me on cross-country flights, but (laughs) am allowed to leave her at home. So no, she did not make it out for her first climate week, which was great for me because I got to enjoy climate week without an infant with me.
0: Fantastic. Well, I was so impressed by your calm parenting. And then amazed to know that you're the founder of Dandelion Energy, a startup I already knew about and was interested in. So let's dive in there. We're, of course, here to talk about that other baby of yours. And before we go too deep, let's just learn a bit about you and how you came to found Dandelion.
1: I founded Dandelion after working at Google's X Lab for a few years. And my role there was to Find new opportunities for X to pursue. And I really specialized in looking for climate opportunities. And I looked at a variety of different things, but unexpectedly became very invested in geothermal heat pumps for a lot of reasons I'm sure we'll talk about today, but just see such tremendous potential for them to sort of align the incentives of many different stakeholders, save homeowners money deliver huge positive impacts to the grid and allow us to decarbonize buildings, which are in many places, the number one contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. So that was originally a project I was leading at Google X, but then ultimately I spun it out into a standalone startup.
0: Okay. Let's go deeper there. The idea developed while you were at Google X and you spun it out. Why did it make more sense to develop Dandelion outside of X And what were some of the complexities of spinning it out?
1: It's something I came to really believe when I was at X, and I think all of us at X came to believe. It's like some styles of problems are really well-suited for X and others not so much. And some of the things that appealed to me about the opportunity to make geothermal heat pumps a lot more cost-effective for homeowners and just more of a mainstream consumer product were that you could just get out and try to do this in the market right away. There was no need to spend years and years doing fundamental research. The technology largely exists. It was just about sort of tweaking it (laughs) to use a very untechnical term, but making some changes to make it easier for consumers to adopt and less expensive. And that go to market for this particular product would require a fair amount of operational complexity. It would require drilling holes in customers' yards on the East Coast to start. And it would just require a lot of activities that were relatively difficult for X to do because Google has such a very high standard when it comes to their brand and risk, taking risks against their brand They're very concerned about liability, as they should be. At the same time, doing this project wouldn't necessarily fully capitalize on X's strengths because it didn't require a lot of that fundamental R&D to get started. And so for those reasons, it just seemed like a problem really well suited for a startup more than a Google X. And we decided, okay, let's make it a startup easier said than done. So the second part of your question was, what was the process like for spinning it out? The reason that process was tricky to figure out is because at that period of time, X had only done one spin out. And there wasn't really a template for how spin outs were done from X. So in some ways, that was an opportunity. I'm somebody who likes that situation to get to sort of figure out how I'd like it to be done or like try to advocate for my point of view. And so I was definitely able to do that. But on the other hand, of course, it's much harder because you're making all the decisions sort of from scratch and there's no path to follow. You're kind of making it up as you go along. So the process ended up taking a very long time. It took about nine months, I think. But I think everyone is really happy with the result that we got and sort of the deal we came to. So I'd consider it a success.
0: Well, congratulations on seeing the opportunity and then also going through what it took to spin out the company. I'd love to hear more about the heat pump market. Heat pumps have gotten a bit more recognition, but still are far from being our dominant HVAC system. So tell us generally what heat pumps are, how they work, and why they're important from a climate perspective.
1: Heat pumps are electric devices that move heat from one place to another using what's called a vapor compression refrigeration cycle. But all of that makes them sound, I guess, like more sophisticated or fancier than they are. So we're all users of heat pumps. A refrigerator is a type of heat pump. An air conditioner is a type of heat pump. Both of those devices have a refrigerant and a compressor inside them. and that's used to move heat in the case of your air conditioner from the inside of your house to the outside air outside your home. So all that's different about a heat pump that we are talking about right now that can heat your home as well as cool your home is that instead of only being able to move heat from the inside of your house to the outside, like an air conditioner, it can also do the opposite and move heat from the outside of your home to the inside. And even when the air is super cold, there's still heat in it. It's just there's not as much as when it's warm outside. An air source heat pump does exactly that. It moves heat from the inside of the home out to cool the home in the summer, but it can also move heat from the outside air in to warm the home in the winter. And then the type of heat pump that I specialize in is called a ground source heat pump or a geothermal heat pump. These are two different names for the same thing. And this type of heat pump is actually connected to the underground via what are called ground loops, which are plastic pipes buried under the yard. And by connecting to the underground, which sort of maintains a steady temperature of around 50 degrees Fahrenheit year round, you're able to pull heat from a 50 degree environment in the winter to warm the home. And then in the summer, you're able to reject heat to a relatively cool, mild environment instead of having to push it into hot summer air outside and this allows you to run that heat pump at very high efficiency.
0: Yeah, it's a sort of thing that almost makes intuitive sense that if we're able to move heat we should be able to move it both in and out of the home and it makes it seem like this is the sort of technology that maybe should have been around for a much longer and could have saved us a lot of trouble to begin with
1: <laughs> And to be honest with you, it has been around for a really long time, but it's been very regionally, located in the Southeast U.S. In other countries, it's just been widely adopted already. But in the United States, the Southeast has had heat pumps for decades. It's very normal there. It just really hasn't caught on in other regions. And that's the project in front of us today when we're talking about decarbonizing heating in U.S.
0: buildings. So Let's talk about it from that perspective of why it matters for climate. How can this technology really make a difference?
1: The number one source of greenhouse gas emissions in most states that get cold is buildings, more than cars, more than agriculture. And the number one source of greenhouse gas emissions in buildings is HVAC, heating, cooling, hot water. So In terms of opportunities to really make a difference to greenhouse gas emissions, we have to solve buildings. And the thing is, it's like even more impactful than just getting rid of the point source emissions coming from all the buildings because the electricity load that comes from air conditioners in the summer and when we transition to heat pumps the heating load in the winter is what drives peak demand on the grid. And peak demand on the grid also is responsible for a lot of emissions. So the decisions we make with how we decarbonize buildings will be incredibly significant with how quickly we can decrease greenhouse gas emissions in the United States.
0: All right. Well, you've got me from a climate impact perspective. You've got me from the perspective that it's a smart technology, Let's talk about it from the user experience and from a homeowner's experience. What should one expect in terms of performance and maintenance and operating costs?
1: So this is what really got me about geothermal heat pumps when I was back at X. So as you said, we can see there's a large potential for climate impact. Geothermal heat pumps are literally the best heating and cooling system that exists in terms of decreasing greenhouse gas emissions. But in addition to that, they're the lowest operating cost way of heating and cooling, meaning if you compare the cost of heating and cooling a typical home and you look at how much would it cost if the home was using fuel oil, propane, natural gas, air source or ground source heat pumps, in most cases, almost all cases, the ground source heat pump Will be the least expensive option, often by a lot. So that's great for homeowners. And in the past, it's been a luxury product. So in the past in the US, the people that tend to have geothermal heat pumps are luxury buyers, which just I think shows you it's a really nice product to have. Like if money is no object, people have chosen geothermal. So they're very low operating costs. They're a great product that people love. But the challenge has been the upfront cost, the cost to get these systems has in the past been very high and not just the cost, but it's also not been so straightforward. If you're a homeowner and you want to get one of these, it's just been hard to know how to actually make that happen.
0: Kathy, you mentioned two different kinds of heat pumps, air source and ground source. You focus on ground source heat pumps, also called geothermal heat pumps. Can you explain the difference between air source and ground source?
1: Air source heat pumps exchange heat between the home and the air outside, whereas ground source heat pumps exchange heat between the home and the ground. And they both have their pros and cons, I guess, like many choices in this world. But what's really nice about air source heat pumps is you don't have to have a ground loop. So you just can install either an air source mini split, which is a type of air source heat pump that you just mount on your wall. It's connected to a compressor that sits outside or a central ducted air source heat pump, which really is very similar to an air a central air conditioner, but it can do heating in addition to cooling. So the installation is more straightforward for an air source heat pump. And because of that, and because there's no ground loop, they're less expensive than geothermal up front, typically. But on the downside for air source, there's a few things. One, they don't qualify for nearly as many incentives. So the cost difference between air source and ground source is not as big as you would expect, especially if you're in a region with a lot of incentives like the Northeast. Another Downside to air source is because the heat exchange is happening with the air outside on the day you need heating the most. It's the coldest day, right? Or the coldest night. That's exactly precisely when there's the least heat in the air outside for the air source heat pump to deliver to your house. So that can be a challenge. And similarly, on the hottest day of the summer when you need cooling the most the air source heat pump will be the least efficient because it's trying to reject heat into the hot outside air. In both of these scenarios, the ground source heat pump it performs much better because you're rejecting heat into the cool, mild, temperate ground or you're collecting heat from the temperate ground. You're never exposed to those seasonal extremes, and what this translates to on the homeowner side is a lower operating cost, significantly lower if you live in a place that gets very hot and very cold for ground source. And often the ground source heat pump just performs better on days when it's very cold out.
0: Kathy, you also mentioned that a traditional barrier to heat pump adoption has been the upfront cost. I'm curious how this plays out for your customers. Is financing available? And how are your customers thinking about the economics of investing in a heat pump for their home?
1: Most of our customers do finance the system. So when I started the company, I really was looking at what happened in rooftop solar and asking like, how can we just copy that but with ground source heat pumps? Because rooftop solar clearly is an industry that figured out how to make a renewable home technology attractive and available and affordable to customers. And it's really taken off, of course. So can we do the same with geo? So financing was always... It was clear, like it has to be part of the offering. So we do offer it. And most of our customers do choose to pay with their geothermal systems with financing. And the way that works is kind of exactly the same as solar. You can pay nothing up front and pay monthly for your geothermal heat pump. And for us today at today's prices, it's around $150 a month for a typical home. And the nice thing and the critical thing about that price is it's less than what many of our homeowners were paying before they got geothermal just to operate their existing system. So what I mean by that is a lot of our homeowners are switching from expensive fuels like fuel oil and propane. Some are switching from natural gas as well, but especially for the fuel oil and propane customers they're just paying more than $150 a month on average. If you just like average out their annual spend on those fuels over the course of the year, plus their spend on air conditioning, if they have it, it's more than that, more than that 150, significantly more. So if you look at the $150, the customer's paying for their geothermal system, plus the very small cost it takes to actually operate the geothermal system, it's actually less than what, Many of our homeowners had been paying already for the systems they were already using. And when we can show a homeowner that type of financial calculus, it makes the decision very easy because you can actually pay less right away and get this really nice new geothermal heating and cooling system. And then some of our customers do choose to pay up front instead of taking on a loan and our upfront price for a system, it tends to be in the twenty to twenty-five thousand dollar range, which again, like I don't want to diminish it, it's a lot, but from an ROI perspective, it's still very attractive, especially if you're a homeowner that knows you have to replace your furnace or air conditioning system already, because that's like not an inexpensive thing to do, even if you're gonna install a furnace.
0: Well, let's talk about that moment because one challenge in the heat pump space that I've heard about is that HVAC system buyers often suddenly materialize in a moment of, let's say, desperation. Their old system breaks and suddenly they need to find a way to heat or cool their home. And they often look for a quick familiar fix. And I'm curious if this is something that's challenging that you're experiencing or trying to address somehow.
1: I think that's true that that is the break fix cycle does dominate HVAC sales and it's not a good fit for getting a geothermal system or frankly, any type of heat pump today, except if you happen to live in the Southeast and that's just because the buildings in the Southeast, it's just easier to swap. They might already have a heat pump and it's easier to swap on And if they don't. But in the Northeast where Dandelion focuses It's very challenging today if you have a furnace or boiler that just breaks to replace it with a heat pump of any sort. And that's because often you need to make some changes, even if they're small. You need to get permits. You might need to tweak the ductwork or you might need to add some duct sealing or something. It just requires a little bit more planning than swapping out a furnace for a furnace. And I think this is one of the big obstacles in the way of mass uptake of heat pumps and certainly one of the things Dandelion is working on. But the way that we handle this issue today is we do a lot of direct-to-consumer marketing to reach out to those homeowners who don't currently have an emergency situation on their hands, but instead might just be aware that, you know what, their furnace isn't actively broken at this moment, but maybe it's getting old and nearing end of life or maybe they just want to save money and like stop paying more for fuel oil than they could be paying for a brand new geothermal system. I think these proactive sales, they are higher cost than a typical contractor would have to pay for a sale if that homeowner was just coming to them with an emergency, but it's not too high cost like the business still works very well for us. While we can reach out to those homeowners that are willing to be a little bit more proactive about it,
0: Kathy, I'm sure many homeowners are listening to this wondering how much longer their HVAC system will last. How long do typical systems last? And when should homeowners really think about replacing theirs?
1: I think that, like a furnace that's more than around 15 years old, is certainly old, but most homeowners. With an older system, maybe they've noticed it's just like pretty inefficient and it costs a lot to get the heat that they need, or it's very loud, or maybe it's broken and they've been able to fix it in the past, but they know it's only a matter of time. But again, I think homeowners that are able to think about it purely on a numbers basis, if we can show that the amount that the homeowner is paying for Let's say fuel oil to run their system is more than the amount they would be paying for a brand new geothermal system. Rationally, it is in the homeowner's financial best interest to make that switch. I think if you've just replaced your furnace, there's a lot of sunk cost fallacy in play. So you're probably not. That's not the moment you're going to swap it out if it's brand new. But for most homeowners where it's not brand new, I think that's a very compelling value proposition to just see, oh, wow, I could get a renewable geothermal system that does heating and cooling and actually pay less than I'm paying right now.
0: Kathy, you mentioned that you've begun by focusing on the Northeast of the US.
1: Yeah, I would say that the Northeast has several big advantages for a fledgling geothermal startup. So one is There are millions, literally, of homes using fuel oil, this really expensive heating fuel that's inconvenient to use, that homeowners are excited to get off of. It had some of the nation's leading incentives for geothermal when we started, and still today, it does. Other states have started offering very generous incentives as well. So just to give you a flavor of what I mean in Con Edison territory today, that's the utility that serves Westchester in New York City. If you're a home that's switching on to geothermal, Con Edison will pay twenty thousand dollars, twenty-five thousand dollars actually, against your switch. So you'll just get twenty-five thousand dollars off from your utility. In Massachusetts, it's I believe $15,000 fifteen or twenty thousand dollars and it's around ten to fifteen for the other utilities in the area. So these are very large utility incentives that are going directly to homeowners who switch to geothermal and that's happening in the Northeast. And of course that makes it a very attractive market to us. The last thing about the Northeast that's very helpful is it gets very cold in the winter and very warm in the summer. And so there's a need for a lot of heating and a lot of cooling. So when we're able to deliver heating and cooling that's less expensive, that cost advantage really adds up in the Northeast. We'd still be able to provide less expensive heating and cooling in Palo Alto, California, but you just don't need that much heating or cooling in Palo Alto, California. So the total advantage might be a little bit less.
0: And what about from a technology perspective? Does geothermal heat pumps, do they work everywhere? A lot of people will think of geothermal sounding like, oh, there should be hot springs or there should be a volcanic area. But for your technology, can it work anywhere?
1: It can, yes. I mean, there are extreme scenarios. Like if your house is located on a cliff, which has actually happened, (laughs) like we've actually had to disqualify that home on a cliff. But like, if you're in a crazy situation like that, probably not a good use case for geothermal but because we're just using the fact that the ground is a large thermal mass to be able to deliver the high efficiency heating and cooling that's pretty much the case everywhere so it's not like you need a particular geology it's very different than electricity geothermal where you need very hot underground environments
0: Kathy, you were describing before the local incentives and how big of a difference they can make. So I'm curious about national incentives. Have policy changes like the bipartisan infrastructure law or the IRA been helpful as well?
1: They've been helpful, yes. The Inflation Reduction Act, it gives homeowners a 30% federal tax credit off the sale price of their geothermal system. So Con Ed is paying $25,000. Once Con Ed pays for that amount, the U.S. government will take off 30% of the remaining cost and give it back to you as a tax credit. We also see some states have their own tax credits. So in New York, there's a $5,000 state tax credit. So there's a lot of help for homeowners that are looking to switch to GEO.
0: Okay, so we've got a technology that makes sense, that saves people money, where there's incredible incentives and that has a very clear climate impact seems like the perfect conditions for a market to take off. Tell us about the growth that you're seeing and how the heat pump market has changed.
1: Yeah, it's been one of the things that I've been so surprised by in a positive way, but also so thankful for, of course, is just how quickly the market has changed for the better when it comes to heat pumps and geothermal heat pumps. Between when I started the company in 2017 and today, I think, first of all, Just so many more people have heard of heat pumps and know somebody who has a heat pump. So many more people in the Northeast know what geothermal is. There's just the awareness has grown so much. And we do see a lot of our customers are referrals. So when we have an existing customer who has a system, then we're likely to get their neighbor or their friend or somebody that Has been to their house and experienced it, right? And understands it's just a normal thing that a normal person can get. So the market is changing very, very quickly.
0: Sounds just like solar, actually, with neighbors talking. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's what we're hoping. That's what we're hoping to emulate.
0: What are the biggest barriers, both for your company as well as the market overall?
1: I'll start by saying some of the barriers we've overcome so far and then some of the ones that we're working on. So one of the things we've done is we've brought smaller, more residential-friendly drilling equipment to put the ground loops in to the United States. So this smaller, residential-friendly geothermal equipment was already being used quite successfully in Nordic countries like Sweden, for example, which has a very high uptake of geothermal. But it just hadn't been imported at all to the United States. And because of that, at the beginning, half the homeowners that wanted to buy geothermal from us, we had trouble serving because the drilling equipment that was in the US market was too big to fit in these homeowners yards. Half, half of all customers, we had to... It was a struggle. So that has been going really well today. Dandelion only operates with small rigs. They are designed to keep the yard neat and not put drill cuttings, which is essentially mud everywhere, but keep it very contained in a dumpster. And we're not in a position to have to disqualify that many homes anymore because we can't fit drilling equipment there. So that's been a very big step for us in the right direction. I also mentioned we did bring that financing to market so that Homeowners are able to finance their systems. We've also just really been able to get a lot of efficiency in standardizing the systems that we put in. So, one of the things that the rooftop solar industry has done very well is create a product that is simple, that they can sort of stamp out very easily from one home to the next. We need to bring that way of thinking about things to heat pumps and to geothermal and have made a lot of progress in that direction but there's a lot more work to do some of the things that we're working on are i mentioned earlier in our conversation one of the challenging things about serving a homeowner whose furnace breaks and it has an emergency situation is you need to change some elements of the home a lot of the time to make it fit a heat pump when before it had a furnace so again maybe you need to adjust the ductwork Maybe you need to adjust the electrical system. And these things just make it harder and more expensive to install heat pumps. So, we're really thinking through those problems at Dandelion and trying to come up with innovative solutions to allow us to install heat pumps in homes without making so many changes to the home. So, the experience is less expensive and just more convenient for homeowners.
0: What about the role of HVAC contractors? They can play an important role in steering homeowners towards different solutions and also, of course, need to be informed and know how to install heat pumps. Have you been working closely with them or what's the path for helping them be an ally rather than a source of resistance?
1: The way Dandelion has approached this so far is we are vertically integrated, which kind of sidesteps the challenges that you've described. So, all of our Installation team and drilling team are employees of Dandelion, and therefore it's quite straightforward to have our workforce sort of not only install things to our standards but develop our standards and make them ever better. When my co founder and I started the company, we actually did try to start the company where we used subcontractors instead of being vertically integrated. And we ran up against exactly the challenges you're referring to. Not enough contractors wanted to install geothermal heat pumps, and those that did charged a very high price. And it was just not possible to offer the homeowner a price that would make sense for them and stay in business while paying the prices that we would have had to pay. And then, in addition to those issues, it's just much harder to learn quickly when you're doing the work indirectly through another party. And it's much more difficult to control the homeowner experience. So vertical integration has been a great move for us. I think we've made so much more progress because we have that direct control over each element of the installation. We're able to really optimize it much more quickly. But I think in the future we'll see what happened to the solar industry Happened to heat pumps. Like at the beginning, some of the vertically integrated solar companies were the ones that pushed costs down the fastest. But once that technology and installation process matured, the tools and the products existed to make it possible for third party contractors to install solar really cost effectively at scale and in a high quality way. And I think that will happen with heat pumps too. We're just not quite there yet, at least with geothermal.
0: Well, tell me how else do you see the future, the next three to five years? What's next for Dandelion? What do you hope to accomplish?
1: One of Dandelion's big moves lately is we've started to take on new construction projects. So from 2017 through today, the major part of our business is retrofitting existing homes meaning we take out furnaces or boilers and we install a geothermal heat pump in their place. But what we've started to get really excited about is the opportunity to have geothermal installed in new homes from the beginning. So we're not continuing to dig the hole as a society and put additional furnaces and boilers in new homes. And I think there's such a great opportunity for that too, because as you can imagine, if you have a hundred or a thousand homes being built at once. It's actually not that hard to put in a hundred or a thousand ground loops at once and just like design the homes for geothermal to begin with. So the cost is much lower to do it that way. So I'm excited over the next few years to see that become a more and more significant part of our business.
0: Do you expect dandelion to be serving the entire country soon?
1: I do. I absolutely aspire for dandelion to serve the entire country, though I think We have a really good advantage to be able to focus geographically as we're really optimizing all of our processes because the market is so big. So when you have millions of homes in New York alone that are on fuel oil, let alone all the other fuel, natural gas, propane, et cetera, it just gives us this luxury of getting to just focus in the Northeast, Massachusetts, Connecticut, New York, that area. And dial everything in before we expand. But I absolutely look forward to the day when we do expand.
0: Kathy, thank you so much for your time today and best of luck with Dandelion and all that you're doing.
1: Thanks so much, Jason.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial, accounting, or legal advice. Thanks again.